Um, if, you'll, uh, if you'll open up your Bibles, we're going to be reading in Luke chapter 6. Little ones are free. See you guys. Oh. <laughs> You're still Thank you. right. Thank you. So, uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Now it happened on the second Sabbath, after the first, that he went through the grain fields. And his disciples plucked up the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus, answering them, said, Have you not read this, what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some of those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat? And he said to them, The Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? to save a life or to destroy. And when he had looked around at them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity to to come and worship you. Uh, we thank you for, for you placing the desire on our heart to come to, to this house of worship. Uh, please bless, bless Jackie that, uh, that you may give him the words um, that, uh, that we may understand. Uh, we say these things in your blessed name. Amen. So we've been <clears throat> enjoying, hopefully, a journey through the, the Gospel of Luke. And one of the things that I've tried to encourage you guys with is this, this understanding that the writers of the Gospels have a purpose. And it's not a strict chronology. It's not to give us a, the first day we did this, the second day we did that. But rather, there's a point, a point that... That Luke is pointing to, and he's been doing that since we began. And as we come to this section, we notice that there are two Sabbath stories put together. And you remember last week, we talked about the concept that Jesus, uh, the gospel, was something for, for new. And it was in opposition to the old. Remember the old wine skins and the new wine skins idea and the and the old wine skin was this idea that we have a tendency i don't know if you guys do i I know i do i have a tendency to get a little crusty in my ways a little bit uh hard unpliable like it should always be like this and that was the struggle that they were having because in the old testament i don't want you to lose sight of the reality that in the old testament god promised a new covenant 
They were living under the old covenant. In the old covenant, God had said, now listen, there's a new covenant coming. Now with the old covenant, there came a series of writings. What do we call those? The Old Testament, right? The Old Testament, which told us about the old covenant. But there's a new covenant coming, meaning there would be another set of writings, which would be called what? New Testament or new covenant, right? So the idea is that there is, God is progressively revealing his purpose and plan to mankind. They all, it all fits together cohesively, not two different parts. It all fits together cohesively. But Jesus is saying to them, he was saying to them last week, and, and Luke is alluding to it as the way he puts it all together, that the, the establishment, the religious establishment was stuck in their traditions and yes <laughs> and as they're stuck in their traditions as they're caught up in that idea that the scripture lays out for us this concept that we want to recognize that god is doing something more greater he's getting outside of our box anybody else have a box they live in how many of you guys am i messing with your box with my hair come on <laughs> Come on, I know it's true. I know it's happening. Yeah, I know there's some. I get like two people that say, oh, I like your hair. You know, and I'm like, yeah, but there's like 99 that say, just walk by and shake their head when they look at me. <laughs> we have traditions, right? Things that we get caught up in. I can promise you this. I will always be messing with your box. I want to mess with the box. I want to get outside that. I want to get outside of our conceptions. I want to get outside of our ideas. I want to push the boundaries of our prejudices so that we are able to open up our eyes and recognize, you know what? God's bigger than those things. See, that's where these guys are stuck. These guys are stuck in. You can't do it that way. They're stuck in that. They're stuck in the, you, this is not how we do things. And we've talked about this idea that Jesus is the Word of God, right? Everybody understands? Jesus is the Word of God, and when He comes and teaches, what do they say? Man, you speak as one having authority. Why do they say that? Because the Word of God is telling them about the Word of God. And all of a sudden, it's blowing their minds. It's, it's just outside. It's, it's, it's breaking down a lot of those walls that they've built up. And today, specifically, Jesus is going to knock down some walls. And Luke wants us to know it. Luke wants us to understand that the, that the old wineskins, they have a hard time with the new work of God. A lot of us, who have more gray hair than some of, of our uh, friends, remember something called the Jesus movement. I, I was alive for that. <laughs> I was alive when, when following Christ was cool. When guys would, st- it was not uncommon to hear people talking about Jesus wherever you were. Walking down the sidewalk, somebody would want to tell you about the Lord. I mean, it was, it was literally a revival that was moving through the land. And a lot of very positive and wonderful things came as a result of that. A lot of lives are changed and transformed. But let me tell you something. The Jesus movement people of the, of the what do we want to say, late 60s, early 70s, are now the stiff wine bags. <laughs> we who once thought of ourselves as cutting edge are, are a little bit set in our ways. 
And the Spirit of God, I think, consistently wants to do fresh things. Not, not, not just fresh for fresh sake, or wild for wild sake, but, but just to keep us pliable. And one of the things that the Word of God would teach us how we stay pliable is to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to minister in our life. The oil of the Holy Spirit keeps them bags nice and supple so we don't get too crusty in our ways. We look at the text before us, we see the authority of Jesus Christ laid out, but we also see two different incidents on two different Sabbath days where Jesus came face to face with man's tradition and the authority of the word of God took that authority to tell them what the word of God meant and it was a little different than what their interpretation had been those are challenging things for us and things we ought to always be aware of if you look at the first three uh, chapters in the book of Revelation In those chapters, you're going to see seven letters to seven churches, and every one of those churches thought about themselves differently than how God thought about them. Now, the reason that's important is because we have a tendency either to be too hard or too soft on ourselves. And we see both examples in Revelation and the seven letters to the seven churches. We want to allow the Word of God to have that rightful place in our life to to. Remember, he's the potter and we're what? Yeah. The clay don't get to pick nothing, right? The clay just lays there and lets God do his thing. Hey, I'm going to make something great. I'm going to make something useful. I'm going to make something that will bless the body of Christ. And so we trust ourselves into his hand and allow him to have that sway in our life. And, and, but sometimes we have our own ideas, our own concepts. And then the clay's getting... The, hard and God can't work with it so what do you do with that kind of clay well you can put a bunch of water on it and smash it into little pieces and make it supple again anybody ever felt like that's happened in their life before to make that clay workable and the good news is God as our potter is endlessly patient he will keep working it you can make that last as long as you want I suggest laying on the table and saying, have your way, Lord. But that's, the, that's kind of the battle you see happening in the ministry of Christ in the gospel. Here's what it says. Let's look at it. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So they're walking through the field. They reach over, they're hungry, they pop a couple of uh, heads of grain off of the wheat, and they shuck it in their hands and pop some in their mouth, and, and the Pharisees are right there. Hey, 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 that's not okay. You can't do that. Well, why would the Pharisees say that? The Babylonian Talmud gives us some direction. The Babylonian Talmud was like an interpretation of the Old Testament. Here's what they said. The principal acts of labor that are prohibited on the Sabbath are 40 less 1. That means there's 39. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding into sheaves, threshing, winnowing, fruit cleaning, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, wool shearing, bleaching, combing, 
dying, spinning, warping, making two spindle trees, weaving two threads, separating two threads in the warp, uh, tying a knot, untying a knot, sewing on or with two stitches, tearing in order to sew together with two stitches, hunting deer, slaughtering the same, skinning them, salting them, preparing the hide, scraping the hair off, cutting it, writing two single letters or characters, erasing in order to write two characters, building, demolishing in order to rebuild, kindling, extinguishing a fire, hammering, transferring from one place to another. These are the principal acts of labor, 40 less 1. That was their interpretation of what the Bible said. Okay, let's take a look at what the Bible said. Here's what the Bible said. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant or your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days... The Lord made heaven and earth, and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the word of God said, gave this command. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And man came up with 39 rules of how to do that. And in accordance with those 39 rules, the... The, the disciples are doing are breaking their rules. They're breaking their traditions taught as the commandments of God. But you see Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 23, 25, listen to what it says. It says, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you cannot put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So if you're walking through a field and you wanted to pluck a head, it was okay. Walk through a field, pluck a head of grain. The concept of the Sabbath throughout Scripture was this idea of being free. And what they had done with this idea of being free was put a bunch of rules on it so that it no longer feels free. i gotta, I got to have a, uh, you know, a degree to look up all the rules. Well, well I can't untie a knot, my, or can't tie a knot. My shoe's untied. Well, you got to walk around with untied shoes. Because if you tie your shoes, that's work. No, if you tie your shoes, that's smart. Has nothing to do with work. Is that what God intended when He said, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Was His intent that you not tie knots? Was His intent that you not take a needle and thread and sew a button on if a button came off your shirt? What was the purpose? What was the point? What was the plan? We're going to get to that as we look at it. But Jesus is going to, he's going to describe this for us. In Exodus 31, verse 14 and 15, it says, You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it will be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul will be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, holy unto the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath will be put to death. So God was serious about it, right? Remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. Do no work on that day. Do no work on that day. Set that day aside. In Exodus 16.22, 16.22, he tells us on the sixth day, gather twice as much bread, two omers each, 
And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, the idea in Exodus 16.22, you planned ahead. Why are the Pharisees mad? The disciples didn't plan ahead. They should have had their lunch made the day before. And they brought their sack lunch through. They wouldn't have needed to grab anything off, wouldn't have needed to work. They should have planned ahead. So this was their point. The Pharisaic interpretation was simple. Reaping is plucking the ears. <coughs> Threshing is holding it in your hands, working it in your hands to get to the grain. Winnowing was throwing away the husk. And eating meant that you did not prepare it the day before. You have broken our laws. So Jesus responds. The word of God. Describing to us the word of God. This is what he said. He answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also, he gave it to those who were with him. Jesus begins with this idea, Have you not read? Where, where does Jesus take them? Let's go back to the Word. Let's get out of the Babylonian Talmud, which is a, commentary it's a man's concept of what does it mean and not that those things aren't useful for us but we want to go to the word the word is where we want to find our commentary the word is where we want to find that which we anchor ourselves to we want to find that in the word so jesus goes back to the word now why does he go to a story about david what was david known as a man how a man after god's own heart a man Wholly devoted to God, right? Singular focus, as, as much as, as any human being ever had been, was, was David. A man after God's own heart. Not perfect, but a man who lived his life wanting to please the Lord. And so he takes this example. He is comparing himself, the son of David, or Messiah, to David himself. David, who's a man after God's own heart, and in that position... David is able to say, hey, I think God's okay with this. How can David say God's okay with this? Well, because he's primarily concerned with honoring the Lord. That's his primary focus. Back up, what was the Pharisees' primary focus? Was it honoring the Lord? Or trying to control everyone else? So we look at this and we say, man, what's going on? He's laying this out for us. I think he's saying in the same way that David acted, he is going to act. As the son of man, he's going to make provision for his disciples on the Sabbath day. He's not violating the Sabbath. In fact, he's going to say, I am what? The Lord of the Sabbath. Wow. Man, that's a huge statement. That's a big statement that Jesus is laying out. Why did David do what he did? Why did David eat the bread? He was hungry. He was hungry. There was a ritual law. The ritual law said that the showbread was only for the priests. We can read about it in 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6, kind of lays out the story for us. It says, And David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to greet David, trembling. And he said to him, Why are you alone? And no one is with you. It's a little weird. Well, David's been thrown out of Saul's presence. You know, he's on the run. He's going to be on the run for ten years. And so Ahimelech thinks something's up. David said to Ahimelech, The king has charged me with a matter, and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter which I send you, and with which I have charged you. I made an appointment with the young men to such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? 
Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest said, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. So David answered, truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is uh, an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread. For there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it is taken away. So there are twelve loaves every day made and put inside the, the tabernacle. Inside the tabernacle it's called the showbread or the bread of His presence. It speaks of the Lord's ability to provide for His people. Twelve loaves for each of the twelve tribes of Israel are placed in there and they spend that, that day that they're initially made in the temple. The next morning, twelve more loaves are made. Those twelve loaves are taken out. They become food for the priests. Twelve new loaves are placed in. So what, you've, what you have here is that the moment in which the twelve loaves have been taken out, twelve new have been put in, you now have loaves that are provided for the priest and his family, and those are the loaves that the priest is going to give to David. David's going to eat it, but the Word of God says, hey, that's, that's for the priests. It's not for just common man. Specifically, that's supposed to go to the priest and only the priest. In fact, we can read it in Matthew 12. We see this same story. Matthew 12, uh, 4 and 5, it says, Remember how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Have you not read the law, how the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the law? So, in Matthew, Jesus goes on. In Luke, he's just focusing on the concept of the authority of Jesus. But in Matthew, he goes on to say, don't the priests profane the Sabbath? Well, who's giving sacrifice on the Sabbath day? Don't they give sacrifice every day? Yeah, you don't take a day off of sacrifice. So the priests are going to be doing it. Well, 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 wait a minute. Well, you guys remember a story about Jericho? The walls of Jericho? No? Do you remember, do they go in and they're going to fight this battle? How many days did they go around that wall? Seven days. So I don't care what day you start on, one of them seven days was what? Sabbath. Were they working that day? At least according to the Babylonian Talmud, right? In fact, in reality, on the Sabbath day, they did double. They're going to go around, they're, they're actually seven times. They're going to go around more. And they're going to blow the trumpets and the walls fall down, right? God's going to give the victory in the Sabbath day. And so we look at these things and we say, is God's word broken? Why did God say this on one hand and, and yet he does this on the other? What, what is it that God is, is trying to show us? And so this is what Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to see. You guys have made a hard box to place a bunch of rules in about the Sabbath day and God has a specific illustration for the Sabbath. And ultimately, Jesus, standing before the Pharisees, says to them, I'm that specific illustration. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath day. Leviticus 24, 5-9, they describe these loaves. You will take fine flour, bake twelve loaves from it, two-tenths of an ephah shall be the loaf, and you will set them in two piles, six on one pile, the table of pure gold before the Lord, and you'll put pure frankincense in each pile so that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion. 
as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. So he's working on the Sabbath. He's putting together the loaves. He's putting together the bread. Every single day, these things would take place. So Jesus makes his application in Luke 6, 5. He said, I am, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man, guys, is a, is a title that from the time of Daniel forward pictured the Messiah. Why is that? Because Daniel said, I saw a vision. And in my night dreams, I saw one like the Son of Man coming before the Ancient of Days. And as he comes before the Ancient of Days, the Ancient of Days gives him his throne. God gives the Son of Man his throne. And he says, sit here. In Psalm 110, we read what that's all about. Sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. It's a picture of what happens in the ascension of Christ after his death, burial, and resurrection. The Son of Man, the messianic title. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. In Matthew 12, 6, looking at this story, Jesus said, I want to tell you someone greater than the temple is here. They thought the temple was the end-all, beat-all. But Jesus said, no, someone greater than the temple is here. Someone bigger. Everything that they have spent their life studying was pointing to Him. But they were so stuck in the box and saying, no, it's got to be this way. It's got to follow these instructions. And Jesus coming and saying, those instructions were illustrating me. You're holding on to a painting... When the reality of the person for, of whom the painting is, is standing before you. Saying you want the painting, and not the person in reality. Jesus would also say in, in Matthew twelve seven, If only you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. So they go around with their rules. Here's what it means. Here's what the Sabbath is all about. Jesus is the one that the Sabbath is all about. But they want, they're defining the Sabbath is all about whether or not you tie knots. Whether or not you sew thread. Whether or not you walk. Or whether or not you eat. Or whether or not you plan ahead. But the Word of God is saying, no, no, no. The Sabbath equals rest. The Sabbath equals rest. Who is our rest? That's why Jesus stands before them and says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. But their, their guilt, because we have this thing as men where we want to push somebody down to elevate ourselves. It's easier for me to push someone else down to elevate myself than it is for me to elevate myself. So we spend a lot of time pushing one another down. But Jesus came in and he, and he had these crazy ideas where he would lay out for us and say, that's pride and God hates that. One of the seven things that God hates is pride. Proverbs chapter 16 tells us that. But what does God respond to? Humility. What does humility do? The opposite of pride. It doesn't push people down. It does what? Picks them up. It puts itself in a lower place. Because the Lord says, man, that's the, that's the attitude. That's the proper heart. That's the proper attitude we ought to have. 
but rather we're trying to fix ourselves. We recognize, guys, we're broken. We all recognize we have problems, but rather than dealing with our problems or humbly coming before the God who is able to make us whole, we just point out those problems in somebody else. I can spend all my time pointing, I don't have to point at myself. And that's where the Pharisees find themselves. What was the goal of the Sabbath? Mark 2.27 tells us that. What was the goal of the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now you hold on to all these things. There's a neat little bow coming. Jesus said, the Sabbath was was made for man. He wants us to know the Sabbath was made for man. But we buck against the Sabbath. Why do we buck against the Sabbath? Because we think, you and I, we actually think we can make ourselves better. We actually think, I can save myself. We actually think, I can improve myself. Uh, what's the, the top selling? You want to make a million? Write a book about how to become a better person. And a million people will buy your book for a dollar about how to become a better person. Fixing yourself. Solving, what what is it all about? Work, 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 work. Here's how we do it. Here's how we do it. Here's how we do it. Don't you see how that flies in the face of a concept about Sabbath? Don't get yourself wrapped around the law of the Sabbath. See the concept of the Sabbath. What was it? Rest. What's man about? Work, 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 work. What's God saying? Work's not going to save you. Rest is what will save you. Not work. But man struggles, struggles against it. The Sabbath is made for man. Now, Luke wants to help put this whole picture together, so he moves on to a second story, right? Another story about the Sabbath. It says, on another Sabbath, another of a different kind. This is a different Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered into a synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might have a reason to accuse him. So we got a trap laid, right? We got a trap laid. The scribes and the Pharisees, they want to get Jesus, so they find a dude with a withered hand. They're going to use him. They're going to put him in the middle of the synagogue that they know that Jesus is coming to, that Jesus is teaching in. Jesus is going to come, he's going to teach, he's going to see this guy. They're trying to bait him. Yeah, let's see if he'll heal on the Sabbath. Because that's not one of the rules. The only way you could heal somebody on the Sabbath was if he was dying. If he's dying, you could save him from dying. You could bind up his wounds, stop the bleeding. You could do whatever was necessary so that life would be preserved. And then you would do the rest the next day. That was their rule. That was the rules that they had. So... Scripture says they have this trap laid out, an attempt to accuse Jesus, but what it really shows is their lack of compassion. They care about the dude with a withered hand? Do you know that the the picture, guys, picture, everything throughout Scripture is so much about picture, and we miss it so many times. The picture is a broken man could not come into the presence of God. The only way you could come into the presence of God was if you were perfect, without spot or blemish, right? So if somebody had a withered hand, they didn't get a chance to go to the temple. They're permanently unclean. And we would see these real life illustrations of what happens 
in all of us, only we can't see my brokenness because I don't have withered hands. But I can see his brokenness. So I'm good at making sure he doesn't come into the temple. But what God's trying to illustrate is something is separating you guys from me. Your brokenness is separating you from me, but we can only see it on someone else. I can't see my own brokenness. I can't see the own, my own sin. The own, my own things that separate me from God. So their lack of compassion, let's go find some guy that's, that's broken and we'll put him in here and we'll use it as a, as a trap to get Jesus. But remember, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And there's something he wants us to understand about the Sabbath, guys. The Sabbath keeping should be governed by the conviction, this conviction, that the love of God is inseparably linked to the love of your neighbor. Just let that sink in for a minute. That the love of God is inseparably linked to the love of your neighbor. Now, what Jesus is going to teach? Jesus is going to establish these things. He wants them to comprehend and understand this is important. God wants us to honor our neighbor. Therefore, if you dishonor your neighbor on the Sabbath day, how do you think you're keeping it? Was there a day you were not to love your neighbor? Love your neighbor every day except the Sabbath day? No, that's not how it was supposed to go, but that is what we see taking place here. So in verse 8 it says, But he, Jesus, knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with a withered hand, Come, stand here. They want you to be the central point. So he brings them up right into the middle of everybody. Come here. And then he looks to the people and he asks them a question. He said, is it, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or harm? To save life or destroy it? What was the Sabbath for? They miss it. They miss what the Sabbath for. The Sabbath became about some way that I can push everybody else down and elevate myself. Some way in which I can establish a bunch of rules, and if nobody keeps those rules, I look better. So I'm doing the opposite of the Sabbath. I'm working my way up. And Jesus wants them to see it. He said, look what you guys are doing. You're, you're bringing a broken man whose life is a picture of being separated from God. And you're, and you're hoping, I'm going to heal him so you can kill me on the Sabbath day. So he says, which, 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 which is worse? What was the Sabbath made? To do good or harm? To give life or destroy it? And the same guys with the rules, guys, are sitting there thinking, we got him. We got him because when he does this, he's going to break the Sabbath and we can use that against him. Hard wine skins. Fighting against the move of God. As the Son of God, the Word of God Himself comes to illuminate the Word of God for those people. But those people had their own ideas about what the Word of God said. And the Word of God Himself didn't agree with their interpretation. That's a problem, isn't it? If God disagrees with your interpretation of the Word, who's wrong? Yeah. You know, some of us are so married to our opinions about what the Word of God says that we cannot, we're so rigid. I think if God Himself stood before us and said, that's not the right interpretation, we would fight with Him. 
Surely, Lord, you're wrong. Don't you see how this all fits together? We have a thing in the study of theology called systematic theology. And I think systematic theology is a good thing, although what I'm about to say is going to sound like I don't think it's a good thing. But the problem is we develop systems. We build a system and then we marry ourselves to a system. And then that system becomes the interpreting force for the rest of the Bible. That's backwards. We go to the Bible and we develop our system from what the Bible says. And if it is in disagreement with our system, I got to chuck my system. My system's not right. Now you can, I have like three different, maybe four different systematic theology books. And you know what? None of them agree with each other. But they're all studying the same book. They're all derived from the same data. But the difference is how they interpreted that data. And when that data is interpreted based on a system, it will always fly in the face of what God is trying to show us. Not the system is the word. It's not the system is the word. What does the word say? My system must fit the word, not the other way around. The word of God has precedence and the purpose and point of the word of God. Now, you and I, we can sit here and we can argue about what was the purpose of the Sabbath. But if we'll pay attention to what Jesus is doing and saying, he's going to tell us. He's going to tell us what it's about. What it's for. What it's purpose is. So Jesus lays out this answer to them. Which shall you do? Good or harm? Save life or destroy it? The Bible says Jesus is angry. In Mark 3, 5 it says, He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to them, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and the hand was restored. So in Mark it says, Man, Jesus was upset. He's frustrated with them, with their hardness of heart, with their blindness of eyes, with their deafness of ears, their unwillingness to hear, learn. You ever try to teach somebody who already knows? Man, that's hard to teach, isn't it? How many times have you tried to teach somebody, only hear them say, no, no, I know how to do that. Uh, okay. Yeah, Nope, it's way better to say, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. I find that works a lot better for me. I don't know what I'm doing. You want to give me an idea what I should do different? Knock yourself out. Tell me. Because I, who knows where we're going to find wisdom, right? The person who's going to be able to speak into us. But these guys, their ears are plugged. In Luke 6.10, it says, After looking around at him, he said to, he said to him, the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. So Jesus never touched him. He said, stretch out your hand, and his hand became whole as he stretched out his hand. Withered hand, shrunken, a symbol of the brokenness of man. Where does man get his brokenness made whole? In Christ. It's the only place. Our brokenness is made wholeness in Christ. Only place. There's a living illustration standing in front of these guys, and all they can see is he's breaking our rules to do it. He's not doing it the way everybody else would have done it. It's a little different. 
And so he stands there, and never mind the fact that the guy's hand is made whole right in front of everybody's eyes. You and I have never seen a miracle like that. We have never seen that kind of miracle. We, we hear of miracles. We see miracles. I've, I've had miracles in my own life. But I have never seen a guy whose hand was withered, all shrunken up, grow a hand right in front of me. But we did that day. Men saw this hand made whole right in front of them. But listen to what it says next in verse 11. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. They were filled with fury. What are you so mad about? What is it that you're so angry about? You're angry because the box in which you place God just got blown apart. And rather than going with what God is trying to show you, by the obvious nature of what you're seeing in the miracle right in front of you, you want to kill Him. You want to destroy Him. You want to wipe Him out. That's what a hard heart does. Man, we've got to fight against hard hearts. Hard hearts choose to be blind. Matthew 12, 14, the, the Pharisees went out, conspired against him how to destroy him. They want to kill him. Mark 3, 6, the Pharisees went out immediately how to counsel with the Herodians about how to destroy him. Immediately. Want to destroy him. Want to wipe him out. Why? Because our picture, our plan... Our systematic just got destroyed by the Word of God. Teaching the Word of God. Well then, what's it all about? What was the Sabbath for? What is the illustration that God wants us to glean? Take a little journey with me. Three lessons I think we can learn from this text. The first one is we ought to be careful about legalism. Be careful about legalism. Building our system and trying to force everything to fit within it. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. The substance... The reality of these things belongs to Christ. So let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism or the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, but not holding fast to the head. What's the head? Christ from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, and grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All referring to things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What's he saying? Paul's saying it looks good following all these rules, 
All these rules that we develop, that we make, and we put in our little system and say, this is what being a Christian is all about. It looks like this. You do this, you don't do that. You do this, you don't do that. You do this, you don't do that. There you go. There's our rules. We put our box together. And Paul says, hey, that looks good. And it works for self-indulged religion. It makes you feel good about yourself. Because the list of do's and don'ts that have been put together. But it is of no value with the indulgence of the flesh. It is of no value of saving you from your sin. There's only one thing that can save you from your sin. What's that? Yeah, Jesus Christ. I got to be in Christ. I got to be in Him. Not a bunch of, of rules. The other thing it teaches us is the importance of our own values, of having values and compassion for others. In Micah 6, 6 through 8, it says, What? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? How do I come before the Lord? What do I got to have? He says, I got to come before him with burnt offerings, a calf a year old. Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Yeah, that's what Micah's talking about when the most famous verse in Micah comes out. How do I come to God? How do I come to Him? How do I come into His presence? Because Micah says, I'm like that guy with the withered hand. You might not be able to see it, but I can't come to Him like I am. Something has to happen. How many sacrifices is enough? Do I got to kill my firstborn child? How do I come to your presence? He has told you, old man, old man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but this? Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly before your God. Why don't we just try that? Why don't we just try to walk in humility before God? Sometimes I think we're pretty sure that God needs us to defend Him. I don't know that God needs our help. Walk humbly before our God. We want to understand the dangers of legalism. Building up all these rules. That's not how I'm saved. I don't come into the presence of God because I keep a list of rules. And we've learned the importance of our values. God wants us to have a heart of compassion and love. To love our neighbor is to show the love of God. Right? Not to, not to hate our neighbor. Not to, not to try to decide who should live and who should die. We want to walk in justice and kindness and, and most importantly, in humility before God. The third thing we learned, what was the purpose of the Sabbath? What was Sabbath's illustration? What is he showing us? Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter the rest, as he has said, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. So he's talking about, in Hebrews chapter 4, the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was to enter into their rest, the promised land. Promised land, picture of rest. But they wouldn't enter in because they didn't believe God would be with them. 
So they said, we're afraid. We don't want to go in. We don't trust you, God. So for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. They never entered into that rest. And then the writer of Hebrews says, but there's a rest for you. They wouldn't enter in because they didn't believe. But there's a rest for you. Every time you see that word rest, I want you to think Sabbath. There's a Sabbath for you. What was the Sabbath? Rest. There's a Sabbath for you. There's a Sabbath that saves. There's a Sabbath that means the end of all work. There's a Sabbath that means we're going to be okay. We want to enter into that Sabbath. He says, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day. God rested on the seventh day from his work. Did God truly stop working on the seventh day? The Bible says the, 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 the whole universe is held together by him. So can he take a day off from that? If he takes a day off, what happens? Yeah, right? Boom, it seems to work for me. What did he take a day off of? He took a day off of creation. He stopped creating. He stopped creating. There's a creation rest. There's a rest of the promise of the land. He's going to describe this for us. Again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, this is from the Psalms. David wrote this in the Psalms. He said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then David wouldn't have spoken of another one. If Joshua was the rest, what is Joshua in the land, going into the land finally? It's a picture of what? Entering in through faith into his rest. Was it the final rest? It's not the final rest, because if it was, David in the Psalms wouldn't have said, hey, today, don't harden your hearts so you can enter into rest. If the rest was with Joshua, then David wouldn't have talked about a rest. And if the rest was the rest David was talking about, Jesus wouldn't have talked about it. But when Jesus stood before those men and he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, he is saying, I am your Sabbath rest. It's not about performance on a day, it's about entering into Christ. Are you in Christ? If you are in Christ, then you are in the Sabbath rest. Anyone who enters into Christ has ceased from his works. Your works didn't get you there, did they? What got you there? Your faith. You believed. The illustration earlier, right? The illustration of entering into the land. They believed that God would be with them. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you enter into rest. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will be your Shabbat. I will be your Sabbath. I am your rest. Come unto me. I am your rest. I am the picture of the Sabbath. I am the day of rest for mankind. I am the one for whom men were created. That you would enter in by faith to Sabbath rest in me. And as Jesus stands before the people and tells them, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. As He stands before them and shows them by the power of His Word that He can heal a man's withered hand, they want to kill Him. 
because they're so married to their own system that they can't see the Son of God show them what the Sabbath is really about. How do I know we still have that problem? Because we're still arguing about the Sabbath today. You want to know how to keep the Sabbath? Be a believer in Jesus Christ. And you keep the Sabbath because you are in the Sabbath rest. You fulfill the Sabbath because Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh Shabbat. He is God our peace. God our healer. God our rest. That's why the Bible says we've ceased from our work. There's nothing you can do if you're in Jesus, who is our Sabbath rest. If you are in in Jesus, then you have rested from all your work, because God did it. And you, by faith, are entering in. You're following the examples of those of the Old Testament. You're seeing the pieces of the Old Covenant and the New come together. You haven't built yourself such a rigid box, a rigid system, that if God Himself stood before you and said you were wrong, you couldn't see it. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am the humble king, and you will find rest. That's how you fulfill the Sabbath. You believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's how you keep the Sabbath. That's what the Sabbath was all about. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we just lift this time to you, Lord. We thank you, God, that we have an opportunity. We thank you for the place where we live, where we have freedom to gather. Lord, we thank you that we can be in this place and we can celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, who, by the shedding of blood and by the the breaking or the tearing of His flesh, He has provided a way for me. He's provided a way. There is a vessel through which salvation is attained and achieved. That vessel is Jesus Christ. Paul says 169 times, you have to be in Christ. In Him. Put on Christ. Be clothed in Christ. Because it is in Christ that I am elect. It is in Christ that I am forgiven. It is in Christ that I am redeemed. It is in Christ that I am perfected. I must enter into my Sabbath rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. How do I do it? Jesus said. Believe. Put your faith and trust in the sacrifice that God provided for you. Set aside your own ability. Lay down your pride. Stand before the humble king. In fact, bow before the humble king. Kneel before the humble king. Follow the example that God lays out for us. See the picture that is painted on the pages of the Old Testament and say, this is what this is all about. Everything is pointing to Jesus. 
God, I pray that we just have this desire, this desire in our heart to say, man, I I want that. I want that rest. I want that reality. Not another system. Not another complex set of ideas on, on how it is that I can be saved and what it is that it looks like. But I just recognize I have it all if I'm in Christ Jesus. For to as many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become the sons of God. Why? Because they believed in His name. What is His name? Yahweh is salvation. Jesus saves. God, I pray that we set aside the things we think we can do with our hands. And just focus on the reality that God is calling me to enter into rest. A rest in Christ. If I'm in Christ, things in my life radically change. Why? Because I'm in Christ. If I'm in Christ, I just need to realize, to recognize the reality. How does that occur? How do I find myself in Christ? Jesus said, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come to me, all you who are trying to work your way to God. Come to me, all you who, who know you are separated from God. And you say, how is it that I come to you? How big a sacrifice? How much must I lay down? Come to me, all you who have developed a system. And you think your system will save you. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Be yoked alongside me. God, I just pray that today as your spirit moves through this midst and as we close out and worship God, that your spirit would do a work in our hearts, that we would have that moment bowed before the humble king, proclaiming you as Lord and Savior and entering into the rest that lasts forever. To the love that lasts forever. To salvation that lasts forever. For as long as I am in Christ, I am eternally His. God, we pray that You would make this moment as we lay it before You in Jesus' name. Amen.